1: Good day, everyone. Good morning. Good evening, wherever you are in this big world. Um, Thanks for joining us. It's a a great day, especially if you know Jesus. And uh, it's exciting for me to have you be with us. Michael Pink is our guest. Michael has been in the space of business and uh, really seeing the Lord use him significantly. If you guys didn't If you missed the interview we did recently, you can go to kingdomcommunity.tv and just search under shows, and you'll see Kingdom Conversations, or also known as the Kingdom Community Podcast, my name, scroll through it, and you can watch the interview with Michael. It was a great uh, interview Michael shared. Oh, I think it was like almost 90 minutes long. There's so much revelation in it, honestly. Um, very profound, very powerful. I would encourage everyone to check that out. And Michael is with us today, and I'm very excited about that. He's going to be speaking on a topic that really is significant and relevant to each one of us in the body of Christ. You could be uh, a pastor, an entrepreneur, a CEO, an executive you you could be a nurse, a doctor, whatever you are doing and you're calling a contribution, this is such a relevant topic. And Michael's gonna jump in in just a second, but we're looking at those specific things that help us and also hinder us from really fulfilling our destiny. And um, I'm gonna allow Michael to kind of give an overview of that in just a second. But guys, starting next month, in January 2023, we're going to be having a monthly um, meeting, Zoom meeting, on the topic of Fivefold ministry. And we have various individuals from around the world that are going to be my guests coming on and sharing and teaching. It's going to be awesome. We've got a lot of people who have already signed up for this. Of course, it's absolutely free of charge. And in addition to the new five-fold ministry meetings that will happen once a month, every month, starting January, we are launching a podcast on five-fold ministry. So you can make sure that you go there and subscribe. Just look for The Power of Five, The Power of Five. Also, would you subscribe to my podcast, which is known as the uh, Kingdom Community Show? You can search for my name, Glenn Blakeney, and uh, you can... part of it that way as well check out kingdomcommunity.tv download our apps we've got so many exciting developments on that space we're about to launch on i'm sorry on samsung and lg in the next few days and our viewership is increasing exponentially from around the world kingdomcommunity.tv you can download the apps we have apps even for mobile devices as well, and um, just watch all the different content. We even have um, content relative to Kingdom Business and so on. Uh, Michael's interview is on there as well. And then just one more thing, kingdomcommunity.global is our website, and we'd love for you to go there, create a membership, and connect with us. We offer something called On Track. If you're not part of On Track. Just go there, sign up for a silver or gold membership, and that gives you access to a lot of incredible teaching resources. Immediately following this session, we'll be doing the On Track session, which is all about your personal development. Today, we're going to be looking at vision, the topic of vision. So it's immediately following this. You sh- should have received an email already with the Zoom link. If not, just check your email before the end of the session or at the end of the session and you'll see the Zoom link in the email. All right, so there we go. All of those preliminaries out of the way. Welcome, Michael Pink. Michael, could you just share with everyone just kind of a, a brief overview of who you are and, and what the Lord has really kind of hardwired you to do and, and, and how the Lord is using you? I'm You're not tooting your own horn by any means. I, I just know that when a person shares from their heart, someone like you who's been very intentional in your space, um, you know, you're going to do such a better job in, in, in summarizing all of that than I would. So welcome, Michael. And thank you.
2: Well, Glenn, thank you. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for being on the call. It's an honor to get to share a few things with you from all over the world. I do this myself uh, every week with my students from around the world inside the Jesus School of Business and other programs that I have. Um, But my background is I I, I grew up in Canada, Uh, became a Christian at age 18, and uh, began hungry to learn how God does stuff. And uh, I went and got a career in sales, and I did okay. I moved from British Columbia to Toronto, I, I got another job in sales, and I struggled horribly, I barely eked out a living. And then through divine circumstances, I ended up down in the United States, in Nashville, Tennessee. And the Holy Spirit pointed out a building to me one day. He said, that's where you're going to work. And I look at it and said, copiers? I don't want to sell copiers. Again, I'd already done that. But I went and um, I said, God, if I'm going to do this, I need you to show me how to do this. And uh, I went from being barely eking out a living to number one, immediately, not like eventually, immediately when I began to learn biblical strategies, biblical practices that I could apply directly to the sales process and the business process. And I and it shattered all records, did all kinds of things, working less than anybody else and um, and doing more than anybody else. In fact, they may be the manager that gave me a team. And 10 months later, I was able to uh, share with those people what I had done and what I had learned and where I found it from. And my team was up 430% over the year before. And so we found out that the biblical principles and strategies go far beyond things like integrity and honesty and diligence as good. And as important as those things are, there's a lot more. There are things like the Moses questioning strategy, which really open up opportunities that may otherwise have escaped you and actually help a prospect. See what you need. You can actually do better. You can sell more by telling less. You can sell more by asking questions as an example, or the motivational secrets of the 10 commandments or how to create a climate of trust based on the life of Christ. Uh, There's, there's a, the Negotiating Secrets of the Apostle Paul. There are so many things buried in the scripture that are actually practical and applicable to business and to sales in specifics that it'll blow your mind. And So I spent many years learning how to do that. Um, give you an example. In 2015, a very good friend of mine. Well, I'll go back in, in 2012. He acquired a company. It was an um, insolvent real estate Education company, insolvent, couldn't pay their bills. He said, Will you help me? Because he knew what uh, what I was what I learned and wanted my help. I said, sure. In three months, we went from insolvency to making in the first quarter a million dollar profit. Finished the year at six million in profit, 30 million in revenue. Fast forward to 2015, he'd started another company, and it wasn't doing well in 2014. In 2015, he was getting ready to shut it down. He said, can you help me? I had 12 agents. They're down to three, and they're looking for a job. And I helped them for six months initially. And at the end of that six months, we're back up into seven-figure profits. And he asked me to help him for two more years, which I did. And it became the fastest-growing real estate brokerage in the history of the Inc. 500 and the 16th fastest-growing privately-held company in America on the Inc. 500 list. To Glenn's point, uh, when you're trying to give an overview, I don't want it to even remotely sound like bragging, because if I'm going to brag at all, I'm going to brag on the efficacy of the Word of God. And when you learn how to tap into that and, and tap into the wisdom and the strategies that are there that are usually buried a little bit below the surface, you have to look at something and say, okay, how did he or she do that? Lord, show me what's buried in there. The scripture is so jam-packed, uh, full of wisdom for business, it will blow your mind. In the Jesus School of Business, uh, but people can join it for a dollar for the first month if they buy the, the God's Best Kept Secrets books. It gets them in there for the first month. But inside that, we have hundreds of videos teaching biblical principles, biblical strategies, and te- tactics from the Word of God and also from natural law. Because it it says in Romans 1, that the hidden things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being revealed by the things he made, even his eternal power and his divine nature. And we know that Solomon, he taught from nature. In fact, the Bible says that in 1 Kings 4.33, that the kings of the earth sent their representatives to Solomon to learn his wisdom. Specifically, it goes on to say, and Solomon spoke about trees. From the hyssop that springs out of the wall to the cedars in Lebanon, he taught them certain things. And by the way, I've studied that many times. gone down to, to the rainforest of Panama five times, the upper Amazon once, and numerous other rainforests in the world. Just to study the way God does stuff because it's the most productive system on earth, but it has very little capital or topsoil to work with. So how does God get abundance from scarcity? These are the things that I study based on the inspiration from scripture. So... I just kind of want to lay a bit of a foundation of where I'm coming from on this. And more importantly, you can look at something in the Bible or in in a book and say, man, that looks good. Or I think I've got a great idea from that. But really, the proof is in the pudding. Like, can I take this idea that I see, this concept that I believe I see in Scripture, for example, and translate that into practical application? Can you take something like paul's letter to philemon which was written to his friend philemon about a runaway slave named onesimus that paul led to christ in prison who by rights under roman law should have been executed because he was a roman slave and paul said i want you to go back to his place despite the fact that he most likely trashed it on his way out i want you to go back there and i want philemon when you when you see him coming through the door i want you to welcome him as if it was me your best friend walking through the door and he writes this letter it's like 28 verses but there are i found 31 strategies for negotiations that are in that short letter that are so amazingly applicable. He, for example, I'm off topic right now, but he says, I want to talk to you about my son Onesimus. Why is that important? Because he who defines the argument, he who frames the argument usually wins. He didn't say, I want to talk to you about that slave, that runaway guy that, you know, I know you got bad issues with him or bad blood or whatever. No, he said, I want to talk to you about my son Onesimus. Framing that argument was so important, and that's just like a, a short, short version of one of 31 strategies. So what I come from, Glenn, and you know this, is I'm, I've am i spent decades and multiple decades studying scripture specifically to apply to sales and business because that was where I was living. My My career was out there in the marketplace, and I would look and say, how can I apply this to that? And then it wasn't that long ago. I'm going to share my screen with folks here. It wasn't that long ago. Let me see. Uh, if you let me share my screen, uh, Glenn, please tell me when we got that good to go. Thank you. We'll share that. And I'll... one of the things that, that I, I was thinking about that I thought I would share is sort of an introduction to uh, your 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 friends here on this network here. Is what are the commonalities? What are the what are the things that govern, as in limit or release limits from success? What are the levers that drive or limit success? And so this is one of the things I was just pondering some time ago, and I was studying it out. And there were, I came up with seven that I thought were really profound. And the first one, and they're really dependent. Like if you're missing one of the seven, it's going to greatly impact your ability to do something. Number one though is to believe. Uh, you know, the scripture says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, important to note, it doesn't say all things are guaranteed to him who believes. It says all things are possible to him who believes, which means in addition to believing, there's usually something else. At a minimum, James tells us, action, faith without works is dead. So, <coughs> excuse me, second scripture, believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe in the prophets, so shall you prosper. So one of the things you can start is say, I'm going to believe what the prophets and the scriptures have said. I'm going to believe what Isaiah said. By the way, speaking of Isaiah, in chapter 11, verse 2, you find out a very profound marketing model. Because he's announcing that the Savior is going to be coming into the world. The Messiah is going to be coming into the world. he says, here's how you'll know him. Seven attributes he lays out. And those seven things were meant to to, uh, 700 years later that when Christ showed up, we go, oh, yeah, he's this, he's this, he's this, he's this, this is him. In marketing, you want those seven things. You want to be able to demonstrate wisdom and knowledge and understanding. You need to understand what the fear of the Lord implies and how to do it. How How to deploy the spirit of counsel, for example, or the spirit of might which is your strategic advantage. And so we can go into Isaiah just alone, and I'm going to believe what I read in Isaiah. I'm going to believe what I read anywhere, but I'm just saying I'm starting with the prophets. It says, if you will not believe, surely you will not be established. So the foundational thing here that I want to come across to you with is the necessity of belief. Uh, David said, I had fainted. I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. you got to have belief. Now, let's talk about that a little bit. Power belief. What you believe determines what you do. And I'm going to tell you something. A lot of times the things that you believe in that I believe. Are so deeply embedded in us. We're unaware that it's a belief. Sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's a stronghold that's not so good. But what you believe absolutely determines what you do. Um, When I started publishing, I did a book back in 1988, called The Bible Incorporated. The Bible Incorporated in your life, job, and business. And I'd never written a book. I was in church on a Sunday night, and the pastor said, when he was preaching, he said, instead of asking God to bless what you're doing, why don't you ask God what he's doing and what he's blessing and do that? I thought, wow, what I'm doing doesn't seem to be working. So, Lord, what are you blessing? This is 44 years ago. and um, Or 30, how many years ago was it? 34, right? <laughs> 34, excuse me. 34 years ago. And said, so, Lord, well, what are you blessing? And he said to me right there in church, Psalm 68, and it says, the Lord gave the word and great was the company of them that published it. And I said, publish? You want me to publish your word? God, I don't know anything about that. I, I, I'm doing this other little business thing, which isn't working, by the way, but I'm, I don't know anything about that. But if you give me an idea, I'll do it. And so he did. A few days later, I had this idea for the book that became known as the Bible Incorporated. By the way, it's one of the best-selling Christian business books of all time hundreds of thousands of copies sold. We self-published it, knowing nothing about it. But what I believed, when I ordered my first print run of 25,000 leather-bound, gold-gilded edges, brass corners on the book, when I ordered the first print run of 25,000, I thought that was such a small print run because there's almost 300 million Americans or whatever the population was at the time. And so I thought, who wouldn't want this? This is God's wisdom compiled conversationally on 101 working business topics. It's like a no-brainer, But 25,000 was a big stretch. I didn't know when I called the printer. He said, Michael, did you know that 80% of the books published in America by real publishers never sell more than 5,000 copies? And you're just a guy with a basement. You have no distribution outlet. You have no channels. You've never been in the industry. You've never been in the business. You don't know anybody. You don't even know where the nearest Christian bookstore is. And you're going to order 25,000 copies to your basement? Basically, are you nuts? I put my hand over the phone. I said, Lord, what do you think? And he said, yeah, let's do it. So I did. I ordered 25,000 copies. We were sold out in eight months and did another 25, another one, another one, another one, and so on. Went on to do very well. But part of it was because of what I believed. I believed that that was a very reasonable amount. I was uninformed that it was so unrealistic according to the, the industry standards, but I didn't know that. What I believed was that that's not very many. And that determined what I did, and of course, it went on to be very successful. and what you what you do determines what you achieve, obviously. what I believe determines what I do, what I do determines what I achieve, and the stronger the belief, the higher the uh, the higher the performance. the better you can do. If I've got a strong belief, I can do even better. And then weak beliefs limit you while strong beliefs empower you. Sometimes we believe something in a weak way, yeah, I think we can do it, man, kinda y- you're not going to get much done, obviously. Belief forges the strength of your will. Not just to start, but to finish. Belief sees the invisible as though it were in plain sight. Let me give you an example. When I moved to this country, and I told you I got that job selling copiers, right? And they told me to sell one out of four. That was the national average. I said, God, how do I sell one out of one? He showed me, and I did it. One out of one. Set a record. Finish the year at a 92% closing rate. Uh, without using pressure or gimmicks or manipulation or any of those other nonsense. Just learning how God does stuff is what I did. But in my very first month, just to give you, this is just an example. In that business, imagine with me, if you would, okay, you you could be selling anything, but I was selling business to business. In your first month, because there was no marketing, your job was to go out and knock on doors at, you know, lawyers and doctors and industry and you know, any kind of business that used a photocopier and your job was to find somebody that maybe had a need or get them interested in getting a new one a bigger one, a better one, a faster one or whatever it was. So they said, we don't expect any sales your first month because, you know, you're just getting out there. Plus once somebody decides they want one, there's usually about a 30 day sales cycle because they want to try yours out. Then they're going to try your competitor and then another competitor, get three or four bids, make a decision. It's about a 30 day process. So you don't expect any sales your first month. And I said, Lord, I don't want notoriety. I don't want praise. I want to glorify you. I want to do so well that people say, what does he have? Because uh, Solomon says, I'm paraphrasing, poor men have no voice. Unsuccessful people have no voice. Meaning what he actually says is that a poor man's wisdom is despised. Not saying it should be that way, just saying that's an observation. That's the way it is, and that's what he said, and so I thought that's very insightful. So when I came here, I wanted to be a testimony for Jesus Christ, so I didn't want to be one of these guys that, you know, I'm not doing very well, but let me tell you about Jesus. I wanted to do well, and they would say, what in the world is different about you? So I said, Lord, what would it take to really grab their attention and have them think, man, this guy's got something. Well, if I made a sale my first month, I'd be tickled. Uh, Your second month, they expect two sales, and and every month after that, they expected four, of which, by the way, only 15 or 20% of the guys would actually make four sales in any given month. So I prayed about it, and I came up with this number of 10. 10 sales my first month would go like driving a huge exclamation point into the thing. And so my first full month was the month of February. I started mid-January. My first full month was February. And uh, I got down to the last day. And I had eight sales, and I had one prospect. One prospect left, and he, I had a flat tire. I was late getting in. I got in around noon or whatever, and he called and left a message. He said, Michael, don't call me. I've considered your offer. We're not interested. I'm out of options at that point, and I'm too short of the ten that I believe God he and I agreed on. And I called somebody. And I said, "How you doing?" I said, "Well, I, I got eight sales. I got to get two more, and it's two o'clock. I got to find two more prospects and 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 get two more sales in the next three hours." And they said, "Don't don't put yourself under that kind of pressure. You, nobody's ever done eight sales in the first month, you know." And they're going on like that. And I said, "Stop! Can't listen to that." I hung up. Why? Because I was forging. I had a. I there was a strength of will. Not just to start what I was doing, but to finish. I had a sense of somehow, some way, we're going to get two more sales in the next three hours, despite the fact that there was no rational way to do it. I, I had a, for lack of a better word, I had a rhema word, I believe from God. I didn't believe for 11 or 12 or 100, but I could believe for 10. And by the way, some guy drove up to our office. It's never happened in all the years I was in sales. Uh, some guy walks up and drives up and is interested in a copier. Long story short, before the day was over, I'd made a couple more sales and hit that number of 10. Why? There was a certain tenacious faith, a forging of strength, because I had some belief. Now, how do you create belief? Well, it's based on a number of different things. You, some people do it based on simple empirical data. Okay, they're looking at information to say, okay, I see you make X number of calls, or you do X number of things, you'll get X number of results. That's one way people get belief. Another way they get it is on a track record. Well, oh, I've done this before, I know I can do it again. Or he's done it before, I think I can do that. Or maybe it's based on sound logic. These are different ways people get their belief. Sound logic, okay? And and there's validity to these ways, but it's also based on the character of the person making the promise or on how well you know the one making the promise. In my case, I didn't have any empirical data, proven track record or sound logic to justify ordering 25,000 books or making 10 sales my first month. None of that was there. What I had was... Frankly, I had a word from God. And the thing is, do you believe him? Do you, do you trust his character? How well do you know the one making the promise? My wife says something's going to happen or she, she, she had a certain experience, whatever it is. Okay, I believe it 100%. There's never, ever a shred of doubt. Because I know her very well. God. When you know him. And you know his voice. When he speaks. That word will not return void. So all things are twice created. Now catch this. You got to see it to believe it. You said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought that's the opposite. No, no. You got to see it to believe it. Let me explain. You got to see it on the inside. By revelation. And if you can't see it on the inside. You won't believe it on the inside. In other words. On the inside of me. I got to see. Oh. I can see this happening. I don't know the how necessarily, but I can see the end result. And I know it's going to happen. I knew we were going to sell those 25,000. I knew it was going to be a best-selling book. In fact, in fact, when I got my prototype of the book and I got in my car and I drove to Michigan to meet with the largest Christian book distributor in the world, which now bought by Ingram Books, but it was Spring Armor at the time. And I, I had an appointment and I went in and the buyer looked at me and he said, Wait a minute, what's your company name and whatever? And He said, you're just a guy with a basement. You're not a publisher. You're like a mom and pop. You, 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 wrote, you wrote a book and you have published it. You printed it. We, we don't do business with you. We don't do business with people like you. I don't know how you got this appointment, but you have, we, I would never have given the appointment had I known you were just some guy with a book. Basically, move along, Sonny. And I told him, he's got he's got it all wrong, that the prototype that I was holding up was going to be an international best selling book. It's going to be on television all across the country. And there's going to be thousands of people who are going to be going to the bookstores to get those books, and they won't have them. And they're going to call you, and you won't have them. And by the way, if you want to get them, your minimum order is a thousand books, and the best price is at five thousand. And they said. A thousand books, we deal with the largest publishers in America. And when we do a new book with them, we'll do one or maybe two cartons of books, 24, 48 books, something like that. That's all we'll do. We never would buy a thousand, especially from a guy who's not even a publisher. And I said, you don't understand. And my belief was so strong. I walked out with an order for a thousand books and went to the next publisher and the next distributor, they did a thousand and the next one did 5,000. All before the book was actually rolling off the press. Just had a prototype. But see, I could see it on the inside. And I'm going to ask you something. Because sometimes the things that you and I see on the inside get covered up with dust. They get covered up with corrosion. They get covered up with slime or grime. Maybe it's a better word. They get covered up with distractions. They get covered up with hurts or wounds. They get covered up with disappointments. And sometimes we need to reach down and say, Lord, help me to see again what you see. And see it clearly and see it deeply. If you won't believe on the inside, you're never going to see it on the outside. Seeing, in that case, really is believing. You can't believe it until you see it on the inside with your second set of eyes, what the Bible calls the eyes of your understanding. And seeing with your imagination creates a path for belief. It says here, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. This is Ephesians 1, Paul talking, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. The eyes of your understanding, this is an area that has to do with, I call, imagination is the God card. <clears throat> Animals, because what I, what I see in the inside is where my imagination comes into play here. Animals can they, they? As far as I know, they can only see what is. They can just see, oh, there is a squirrel. I see it. They can't imagine, you know, some other thing. Uh, but we can see, this is what separates us. In not, one, not, not just one thing, but one of the key things is we can see what is not yet. They can only see what is Yeah, we can see what is not yet. We can see what could be. We can see possibilities. We can imagine things that have never existed. Animals cannot do that. And the scripture says, uh, in the Lord, this goes back to Genesis, said, behold, the people is one. They have all uh, one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained for them, which they have imagined to do. The word imagine there is the Hebrew word zaman, whatever it means to meditate with purpose, i.e. to solve a problem or accomplish a thing now i have a friend he's 90 years old lives in australia when he was 26 he was an illiterate bricklayer meaning he couldn't read and write he was a third generation welfare recipient he had i think four fathers and however many mothers whatever the deal was not not the best of upbringing but in 1959 he went to a billy graham crusade gave his life to christ was born again and then the transformation began and He went into business three times and failed three times, got jobs each time and paid off the debts. But the fourth time he was successful, in fact, so successful that among the many, many things he did, he later on in life brought the largest Billy Green crusade in the history of Australia. He personally underwrote the whole thing and and had him come to Australia. He also has given away, you know, tens, if not hundreds, of millions of dollars in many other pursuits, became incredibly successful. His name, for those of you who, who might know him, is Peter J. Daniels. And one of the things Peter used to do, he told me was he would think because I said how, how did you become so incredibly successful well there's a few things but one of them had to do with this imagination he said I'd just get on the sofa and I'd sit there or maybe I lay down and I would think through some things try to solve problems and I would think through them and imagine solutions and come up with them I would just use my mind in that way It's a powerful, powerful tool. Your natural eyes allows you to see what is, but the eyes of your understanding allow you to see what could be or what is yet to be discovered, uncovered, or created. So there was an experiment done with imagination. Two groups of people who had never studied piano were taught a sequence of notes, showing them which fingers to move and letting them hear the notes as they were played. Fairly straightforward. Then members of one group called the mental practice group, sat in front of an electric piano keyboard two hours a day for five days and imagined both playing the sequence and hearing it play. A second physical practice group actually played the music two hours a day for five days. Both groups had their their brains mapped before the experiment, each day during it and afterwards. So get this, one group is sitting in front of a, a keyboard, imagining it, but not doing it. The other one is actually doing it. Both groups were asked to play the sequence, and, an, and a computer measured the accuracy of their performance when it was over. Both groups learned to play the sequence, and both showed similar brain map changes. Remarkably, the mental practice alone, people that just did it with their mind and their imagination, produced the same physical changes in the motor systems, in their brain, as actually playing the piece. And by the end of the fifth day, the changes in motor signals to the muscles were the same in both groups. And the imagining players were as accurate as the actual players were on their third day. Now, in conclusion, the level of improvement at five days in the mental practice group, however substantial, was not as great as in those who did the physical practice. But when the mental practice group finished its mental training and was given one two hour physical practice session, its overall performance improved to the level of the physical practice group's performance at five days. So, the power of imagining is is a huge thing and you can if you this is a gift that god has given us that's why i call it the god card because i can imagine i can dream i can think possibilities and i would encourage you to set time aside to imagine to say how can we do this how i love doing that and coming up with incredible solutions innovative ideas and god will flood your mind if you will allow him now that's one of seven governors the second one I'm going to talk to you on a little bit more briefly is the idea of desire. It says that when it came to pass when Solomon finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all of Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do. The word for desire there means the thing desired or thing delighted uh, that you delight in. The Hebrew word means something you've set your love to, you long for, you join together with, you're cleaved to. You could say you're emotionally attached to it. So the desire has an emotional uh, component to it that I uh, there's a wanting, a yearning, a longing for something. This is important. Like you can believe you can do something, but if you don't want to, if you don't have the want to, if it doesn't matter to you. You're not going to do it. Or if you do, you're just going to do it half hazardly. So belief is critical, but you need to have also desire, because without desire, not much moves. Desire is powerful; it is motivating. And without it, you're not going to get much action. The desire accomplished. The Bible says in Proverbs is sweet to the soul. In one translation, it says the desire of the working man is working for him for his need of food is driving him on. Desire is a very powerful thing. So you got to have belief, but you need to want to. you got to have that want to. The third thing is knowledge, and this is a big one. The word knowledge here. Um, Proverbs 10 says the wise lay up or they store knowledge. Now, you can't do that unless you're acquiring it in the first place. You have a vision or dream for a great business or ministry, but you need to acquire knowledge. Like when I had my publishing company, Hidden Man Publishing, which we sold to World Bible back in 93, but when we had the company, um, we called every Christian bookstore in America and I had a number of telemarketers. And so, you know, one we call the West Coast, one we call, you know, Central Time and Northeast and Southeast and so on. We kind of had it divvy up like that. And we're calling every bookstore on the list, 7,500 bookstores or something like that. When we sold the company, the company that bought us said, I can't believe you're calling all those bookstores. We, we only call the top 20%. And we leave the bottom 80% who only do 20% of the total revenue to the distributors to fill their orders. We just focus on the top 20. And I thought, oh, had I only known that? I didn't know the Pareto principle at that time. So knowledge can be a very important thing. Of course, as a Christian, I want to know the word. I want to know the promises of God. I want to know the process. I want to know the secrets. I want to know the methods. I want to know the rules or the tricks of the trade, the inside knowledge. And by the way, you know, people talk about magic tricks. And what I say is there's nothing magic about magic tricks. They're just knowledge that you don't have. I mean, if you could go back in time, we could transport ourselves back in time and, and go, I don't know, 300 years back. And then somehow manage to be on a cell phone call and say, here, let me let you talk to so-and-so. And they would hear that voice coming out of that cell phone, or they would see that image, and they would think, it's magic. It's magic. It's not magic. It's just something that you know that they don't. And so knowledge is a very important thing. They look at it the way my dog looks at it when I'm out driving someplace, and my wife Judy calls me, whatever, and I put it on speakerphone, and I say, say hi. I tell my dog, say hi to mommy, and she, Judy will say something, and, and Judah jumps all over me. My dog jumps all over me, starts licking like he, he doesn't know what's, how this happens. How is she in the car but not here? It's magic because <laughs> he doesn't understand it. Now, the Hebrew w- roots for this are very important. The Hebrew word for knowledge is da'at, which is derived from the parent root that you can see on your screen. And the name of the first of these Hebrew letters is from the Hebrew word delet, meaning door, And the letter was originally written as a picture of a tent door and can mean the back and forth movement when moving in and out of the tent. Okay, now, the second letter is from the Hebrew word meaning eye, as in eyeball, and in pictographic Hebrew, it looks like an eye. When you put them together, they are in root word of knowledge. It's the idea of the back and forth movement of the eyes as it carefully examines something. So when I talk about knowledge, it's, it's not just sort of cursory information. It's a deeper understanding. It's a careful examination that once understood as knowledge and experience at an intimate level. It's an intimate knowing of something. It's like you have carefully scrutinized this thing. You've studied it. Okay, that's the kind of um, meaning that we have for knowledge. So one of the keys for success, in my opinion, is to develop a learning program. Peter told me, Peter Daniels, he said, he once he learned how to read... Taught himself to read and write, read the dictionary, and then he read four or 5,000 biographies, as well as he studied anything from literature to science to politics to medicine to governments to, of course, the Bible very, very studiously. And he did all this kind of stuff. He was on this incredible learning program. He said, I, his words to me were, I ate books. Once I could, once he untapped that thing and learned how to read, he just, that I can't believe all this information is here. He ate them. And my wife told me yesterday she was, she watched an interview with Elon Musk. Um, I don't know, yesterday, the day before. And she said, he, his thing to her is before they had computers, he would read books from morning to nighttime to bedtime. He ate information. He just read and read and read and read. And so there's something about having a learning program that's very important. Knowledge or information is like water in the bible you can look at it you look in ephesians 5 it talks about the washing of the water of the word you can look at other places water is compared to knowledge or knowledge to water now there was a study done because the way god does anything is the way he does everything and so you can look at and say well what does he do in nature how does he make the systems in nature work and one of the things that you know this everybody knows this that a tree or a plant any living thing's got to have water well water is like knowledge so there was a study done in in a University in the Southeast, I believe it was in Louisiana, where they took a certain number of uh, live oak trees and they planted them. And half of them, they were just planted where they would get the normal precipitation. But the other half were planted in a similar environment, but they also attached a, a drip, a water drip to the roots, sort of a continuous dripping of water to the root system. At the end of a the year, these saplings, which were at the time of planting, 18 inches tall on average. The one that just received whatever rainwater, whatever information, whatever hard knocks, whatever university of hard knocks, whatever experience, whatever water fell on them, those groups grew 33%. They were no longer 18 inches tall. They were, on average, 24 inches tall. But the ones that had a continuous learning program, a continuous feed of information, continuous drip of water for that year, they went from 18 inches to I think it was eight feet. They grew 13 times more. 13 times more than than instead of going six inches, they grew uh, six and a half feet. So that was, they became eight, eight feet tall. That's amazing. That is the power of learning. If you can, if you can take in information, you can do incredibly well because knowledge, what it does is it expands your capacity to imagine. We just talked about, talked about belief, right? We talked about that, but and, and we talked about imagination, but you're, the more, you know, stuff, the more information you have, the more the greater your capacity to imagine is and the more, you know, the greater your capacity to imagine and believe is so. Knowledge, obviously, is a very important one. So we've covered that now. The next one, wisdom. Got to have wisdom. This is the this is not like, OK, I'm going to take it deeper with you. This is the ability to separate good from bad or good from best or bad from worst. Now the parent root means heat. It's the root word, (laughs) which means wisdom. And it looks like the ancient pictograph on the right. Now, the first letter on the right is a picture of a wall which is meant to separate one side from another. The second letter on the left there is a picture of water. When combined, these two literally mean, these two letters literally mean to separate water. This is wisdom, to separate water. What are we talking about? Well, when you boil it, when heat is applied to water, we have evaporation or separation of water. Now, there are a lot of words in the Hebrew that have the same root word here. We have hamet, hamay, haman, and so on. And, and you can see the translations there. But what does that have to do with wisdom? Let me show you how they're related. Soured milk was placed in a skin bag that was set out in the heat of the sun and shaken. The natural enzymes in the skin bag caused the water to separate from the milk, forming the delicacy, cheese. Okay? Hakam is related to the idea of separating, as this word means, one who is able to separate what is good and what is bad. And so when heat is applied to sour milk, which is the image it gives, we have separation of water giving us cheese. Heat comes. From what? From trials, from tests, from proof of concept, and so forth. So let's take a look at Solomon. He had two women coming to him. During the night, one of them had rolled over on their own baby and killed it by accident. And switched the baby with one that was still sleeping and claimed that the living baby was hers and the dead baby belonged to her friend. That obviously wasn't true, and so they went to Solomon. Solomon, drawing on the known character of God, which was compassion, you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, he applied heat to the situation he now listen this he brought heat to the situation he said i'll tell you what let's do bring me the baby bring me a sword let's cut the baby in half so we can separate the baby and you get half and you get half now he's knowing the character of god he knows compassion and he knows that the true mother when the heat comes she's not going to allow her baby to die and so sure enough the bad one said, go ahead cut him in half. Because She she said, if I lost mine, you can lose yours. That was kind of the thinking. But the good mother said, nope, she can have him because I want my baby to live. What he did was he applied heat to the circumstance, which was wisdom, which caused separation and revealed what the appropriate cause um, response should be. Now, the fifth thing you got to have is understanding. You got knowledge and you got wisdom. You got to have understanding. <clears throat> the Hebrew word for understanding comes from the verbal root meaning to understand, but the deeper meaning of this word can be found in a, a related verbal root, which means to build. In order to build, now listen, or construct something, you got to have the ability to plan and understand the processes needed. This is the idea behind the verb and its derivative noun to be able to discern the processes of construction. The sons of Issachar, who Bible says had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. Well, that word understanding is the word bina, which means to build again, to discern the processes of construction. But in this case, there is a second adjoining word. Going into the Hebrew, you'll see it, yada, which implies an intimate knowledge of the process. Now, one of the first times, not the first, but one of the first times the word yada appears in the Bible, it says Adam yadad Eve. King James says Adam knew Eve. And they they had a son, right? And so it's an intimate knowledge of something. Understanding gets down into the emotional, intimate aspects of something. And it knows how to put things together. Uh, Like In in the military, they say, you got to know how to disassemble your rifle, clean it, and reassemble it while blindfolded. That is what you would call intimate knowledge of how everything fits together. Now, we can also see in, in Exodus. God says, I have filled this person with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship. So Augustine of Hippo, back in the fifth century, I guess it was, 430 AD, or whenever in that fifth century, I believe it was when he lived, referred to knowledge as grammar, the basic points of learning. He referred to wisdom, he called it logic, the left side of the brain, if you will, the ability to tie knowledge together and make sound conclusions and decisions. But he referred to understanding as. Rhetoric, the motivational, emotionally moving aspect of communication. Understanding, oh, it engages the soul, engages the heart. Uh, Proverbs says, through wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, it is established. Or you could say understanding um, makes it a home. A contractor can build your house, but it's up to you to make it a home. It takes understanding to know the things that turn walls, floors, and windows into peace, security, enjoyment, your refuge. And sixthly of the seven things is skill. Now, this may seem a little bit odd to you, but Ecclesiastes 9 gives five very important aspects for success. Very important. And, And then he says, but they're trumped with something, which is a whole nother lesson I won't get into today. But the five things that he says are really important is, number one, he says, the race is not to the swift. Now, think about it. Races are always to the swift right? We had a race, and he wasn't very fast, and so he didn't win. No, no. Race is to the Swift, but he says it's not to the Swift, because when you get to the end of the the passage, he says, but time and chance happens to them all. I might explain that in a minute, but the race is not to the Swift, but Swift, nevertheless, is very important. So, for example, back in the 80s, when when I became aware of FedEx, and they said, when you have to have your package, absolutely, without doubt, there by 1030 the next morning, you know, you got to get FedEx, and if you don't have it there by 1030, if it's not there, it's on us. Well, they, I mean, their company took off because they had this thing of, rap, of rapidity, speed. Speed made a huge difference. Amazon's the same thing. Okay. The race is not to the Swift. You're going to be Swift. Uh, another, thing, another characteristic of Swift is light. In other words, not burdensome an easy process, which Amazon is very good at that. When you go to the checkout process, it's incredibly easy to check out or to add things. So Swift is important. It says, nor the battle to the strong. Now, we know weak people don't win battles, strong people do. But there is this exception that he gets to at the end of the verse. But one who moves confidently or unstoppably, this is strength, mighty, having something the other doesn't or having it in greater measure, i.e., same-day service versus one-hour service. What is your unique value proposition? What is the thing that you bring to the table? In business, speed is important. Strength is important. Unique value proposition is important. And it says, nor bread to the wise. Provision. Get this provision to left brain folks, ta- to talent in logic. In other words, he's saying bread normally is for left brain folks who are talented in logic, people who are smart, who get it, who who can ju- who can give you a logical justification for why you should do this. Normally, that results in provision, but there is something that trumps it. It says, "Nor riches to men of understanding." So wait a minute, I got provision, I got riches, I got the battle, I got the race. Riches, and by the way, riches versus wealth, I like my way my friends, um, the Benham brothers, David and Jason, they say, riches is like having a bucket of water. And anytime you, take a, you get a cup and you dip it into that bucket, what's in the bucket becomes less. That's your active income, your job, or whatever it is that earns money. That's riches. Wealth, they said, is the river. When you stick your cup into the river and t- take some out, you haven't depleted the river it's still coming um but riches are to no riches to men of understanding this is the ability to focus on the heart the emotions to have it now mentality understanding is one of the most powerful things in business because when you can cause understanding people take action uh, solomon said in proverbs that i passed by a man's house and then it was the walls were broken down it was all overgrown with nettles and he this man lacked understanding he wouldn't take action. Now, you, it's like people who smoke cigarettes. It says right on the package, just cancer, it could you know, kill you, cause your lips to fall off and your lungs to clog up or whatever it says. People read it, but they don't care. They don't have that understanding sometimes until it happens to them. When you can create understanding with somebody, it is so powerful. You got speed, you got strength, you got uh, the logic of wisdom and you got understanding, you've got a winning combination. And then he says, nor favor to men of skill. And the word skill there is actually the word yada. Yada. That's that said intimate knowledge. In other words, if I have, if I know something better than anybody, right? Like, and it's no one, this guy, this guy knows this inside and out. I'm going to have favor. I mean, who do you want to do surgery on your brain surgery, heart surgery, whatever it is. I want the guy that knows it better than anybody. I want that guy to do it, generally speaking, Um and then he says, but time and chance happened to them all. Now, I don't have the time to teach that, but time and chance is not like luck of the draw. It's actually the word translated as time and chance there has to do with two letters, the Aleph Tav. And it appears 10,000 times in the Hebrew Old Testament, but it's translated less than 200 times. It's like saying the Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the, and the end. The A to Z, it's an expression. Aleph Tov, it's the divine imprimatur. It's the presence of Jesus. Jesus identified himself as the Aleph Tav in Revelation when he said, I am the Alpha and Omega, most likely originally written in either Aramaic or Hebrew. He's, he's saying he's that. So when you see that, what it's really saying is all these five things are very important, but Jesus, the word, intervenes and comes in and happens to everybody, and it is the great game changer. Now, skill, intimate knowledge is something. Eskimos have 50 words for snow. Now, you can Google it. I did because I heard they had seven words and they have 50. And it, there's a lot of research done into this. But they know snow better than I do down here in Florida. Now, I lived in Canada, so I know a little bit about it. But they had 50 words for snow. That's a lot. They have an intimate knowledge of a subject. The ability to perform what you know with excellence. That's what skill is, that level of ability. So, you got to have that. You got to have that skill thing. That's an important thing. If I don't, if I have all the other things, but I can't carry it out, if I can't execute, if I don't have the skill, I'm stuck. I got to have skill. And number seven, finally, is you got to have action. Because as it says, James said, faith without works is dead. So what does that mean? Well, it's not always some magnificent feat. Many times, especially in business, it's just do the boring stuff. That's how trees succeed. Believe me, I've studied it. I've been to all over the world studying these things out, including the Smithsonian World Headquarters for Tropical Research. Had access to hundreds of scientific white papers. I mean, I've done a lot of research on it. Wrote a book called Rainforest Strategy. Got it behind me somewhere. Uh, I understand this a little bit more than the average bear, I guess. And one of the things trees do when you walk in a forest, you don't hear them straining. You don't hear them groaning. You don't hear them fighting over anything. They're in complete peace. And every day they're taking sunlight, water, and air, CO2, and turning it into coconuts, papayas, wood, tree, leaves, branches, all those things from those three ingredients, the miracle of photosynthesis. And they do it on a consistent basis. Every day it's the same thing. Sun comes up, open up, take in the sun, convert it, you know, take the water from the roots and take the air, the CO2 from the air. And they love CO2, by the way, the higher the CO2 levels. The faster everything grows, they love it, so it's a good thing. And they put those things together, and boom, you have a, a very successful enterprise. In fact, just a little side note here, because I'm at the end here um, you take a 100 people, on, want to be entrepreneurs, and you put them in business, and you come back five years later, they just started. Statistically speaking, and a friend of mine got his doctorate, did the research on this, only four of the 100 will have accomplished three things. Number one, they'll still be in business, plus, number two. They will have at least one employee. So they're actually a business. And number three, they made a profit. Only four out of 100. But if you plant 100 trees in an orchard. And you make sure they have seven things. Seven absolutely necessary things. Light, warmth, soil, water, CO2, so on. You make sure it has these seven things. And you come back five years from now. All 100 of them will be successful. They'll be producing. They'll be multiplying the franchise, and they'll be growing. What do they do? What did God put in their systems? What did he, how did he make this work? They have seven parts of the tree that you know flow, and which manages cash flow, by the way. It has xylem. It has all these, these elements, seven basic elements with seven major functions that are performed by a tree every single day. day. And they do the boring stuff and they do it consistently. And if you will do the boring stuff consistently, that alone will help make you successful. It may also, when you're doing that, require courage. Because sometimes the action can be a tough thing. So I just want to leave you, I guess, with that idea. Um, I'm going to go back here and take a look at one thing here. Uh, Let me see. Yeah. I'm going to end, end my my sharing here, and uh, say, guys, thanks for that. I want to take any questions that you have, but you know, I just want to summarize this way: you got to have belief, but if you don't have desire, it doesn't go anywhere. You got to have desire. So you have belief and desire, but you don't have knowledge. You're still not going very far. You have belief and desire and knowledge, but you don't have wisdom. You're going to make horrible mistakes. You can have those four things, but if you don't have understanding, you're going to be limited. So you got to have that, and then when you have those things, you got knowledge, wisdom, understanding. You got desire, and you got belief, but you don't have any skill. You don't have an intimate knowledge or something. You're going to fumble and bumble and not do so well. So you got to have skill. And finally, number seven, you know, out of all those things, you got all the knowledge, all the wisdom, all the understanding. You got the belief, you got the conviction, you got the desire. You got it all, but you don't have or take action. You're still nowhere. So I look at those seven things and I say those are the seven essentials that I'm aware of. Wow. That are levers that you can control how much knowledge how much wisdom how much action these are levers that you can move up and down and to the extent that you recognize their importance and move them up is the extent to which you will achieve and do great things in my mind in the business realm and for and in the kingdom our of our journey
3: as christ's followers is a lifelong process of revelation renewal recovery and refocus Our responsibility is not to discover our purpose or fulfill our destiny, but rather to join God on the journey, allowing Him to shape destiny into our lives. As we stay the course and align ourselves with what He is doing, our life becomes vibrant, deeply significant, and full of purpose. The Kingdom Community has developed a process that will help you move the needle. It's called On Track, And you can sign up now by visiting kingdomcommunity.global. On T.R.A.C. is a prophetic life-shaping process with clear objectives. 1. Transform you into the person God has created you to be. 2. Empower you to fulfill your ultimate assignment in advancing the kingdom of God. 3. Ensure you to finish well and leaving a lasting legacy. On Track consists of assessments, personal coaching, mastermind sessions, and the formulation of a customized plan to help you live out your full potential in Christ and completing His kingdom assignment for your life. Head over to kingdomcommunity.global to sign up for On Track today. Again, the website is kingdomcommunity.global.
0: Thanks for joining us today at The Kingdom Community. We trust that you are encouraged as a result of spending time with us. We exist to connect, equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God. To learn more about The Kingdom Community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Again, our website is kingdomcommunity.global. Together, we are better.